listening to WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. And you are listening to Indigo Radio. Um, We're here to deepen our understanding and make connections. We're on the air every Sunday at 1 o'clock. We're a group of educators seeking to learn through engaging with others in our community and throughout the world. And you can also find us on Facebook um, and on Twitter and on Instagram and all those amazing places. Um, and the views and opinions are our own um, that's expressed on this program, the hosts and the guests, not the radio station. I'm Nina Kunimoto and... I'm Michaela Sims. You want to introduce uh, our guests? And- sure. Um, we're very excited to have Dr. Karanja Keita Carroll, PhD, current faculty member of the Department of Black and Latinx Studies at Baruch College. His teaching and research interests revolve around African-centered theory, methodology, with an emphasis on social and psychological theory. An advocate for prison education, Dr. Carroll has also taught and held workshops and lectured in state-sanctioned correctional facilities throughout Pennsylvania and New York. What else, are we missing something? Dr. Carroll? <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm open to being corrected at all times. <laughs> well, welcome. We're so excited to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk and build with you all about political prisoners and some of the work that I um, do in, in trying to bring attention to their realities. Yeah, so it says here, like, you organize with Malcolm X Grassroots Movement, the Northeast Political Prisoners Coalition, and we'd love to hear more about the organizations that you work with and your yes. work. Okay. I mean, I think that the, the easiest way to explain the organizations that I work with is like an evolution of how I got connected to doing work around political prisoners. Um, and I will try to give you the, 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 the short version of it because it's kind of long, but it goes back to um, work that I started doing when I was in graduate school. Um, my earned my master's and PhD in African American Studies from Temple University in Philadelphia. Mm. I was completing my master's degree, and we got a letter or email that came to the department asking people if they wanted to um, participate in, like, prison education programs. And that began my work around prison education. And by the time that I was teaching um, at SUNY New Paltz, I started continuing doing that prison education work, and I came across the writings of Jaleel Muntakim, 
who at this time was um, incarcerated. Um, he's now um, free. But I was introduced to, to J- Jalil and introduced to his work. And then I just started connecting with organizations. The first organization was the National Black United Front that I was a member of and did work around um, political prisoners, like just learning about their realities, reading their narratives, and just trying to understand what a political prisoner was and, and, and so forth and so on. From the National Black United Front, I then got it connected with the Malcolm X Grassroots Movement. And MXGM is an organization of Africans in America. We refer to ourselves as New Africans, and our mission is to defend the human rights of our people and promote self-determination in our community. And in the midst of that work, political prisoners are are, um, are essential to, um, to, to, to the work that we do in engaging their realities. Um, from MXGM, I live in New Jersey, and I also got connected with the organization known as the American Friends Service Committee. Mm-hmm. There was every year that at um, a place called Refile in Newark, they usually do a, um, a Sada Shakur birthday party. And maybe five or six years ago, I was there, and I was introduced to Oturi Latulu and Bonnie Kernis. Um, Bonnie and Oturi um, do work with uh, what's known as Prison Watch, which is a part of the um, American Friends Service Committee. Ochiri is a former political prisoner. He was locked in Trenton State Correctional um, for, I think it's like 26 years, wow. um, 24 of which was solitary confinement. And when he was in there, the only thing that they gave him was uh, um, newspapers, and he just started to make these collages. And he makes these beautiful political collages. Um, and I was introduced to him, introduced to Bonnie, and between my connections with Otri and Bonnie, we started to do some workshops that were in Newark. From there, I then got connected to the Northeast Political Prisoner um, Coalition, um, which is a organization that's based out of New York City. Um, key members within that organization are former political prisoner um, Sekou Odinga um, and uh, Laura Whitehorn and some other key folks who are former um, political prisoners, and I have worked on and off with them um, to, you know, bring light to the experiences of political prisoners. And finally, I'm a member of the Black Alliance for Peace, and yes, within them, we, we have work around political prisoners. So whatever organization I have been connected to, I have um, I have tried to, to, to find space to highlight and focus on the realities of political prisoners. That's the organizing work, but that same organizing work I bring into the classroom. But you asked about organizations, so I'll stop right there. <laughs> right, and we love to hear also about the what you bring into the classroom um, and your work right okay. now. Okay, all right. So in the classroom, um, right now I teach, um, and as you know, was previously stated, I teach in the Black and Latinx um, department at Baruch College, which is a part of the City University of New York. Um, primarily, I teach classes around racism, but in addition, I teach classes around African religion and spirituality, around black political theory. Um, this upcoming semester, I'm going to be teaching a class on black and brown community organizing. And in the fall, I'm intending to um, teach a class that's around like psychology deliberation. I'll talk about both of those if I remember in a, in a second. But um, in my racism classes, we end the semester by talking about political um, prisoners. We we spend the last two weeks just kind of 
making connections between all the things that we've talked about in regards to the realities of racism and white supremacy within this um, country, and then give examples of people who pushed back. And those people who pushed back are, 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 are the, the folks that we highlight, highlighting folks like Mumia Abu-Jamal, highlighting folks like um, Sundiata Kohli, highlighting um, folks, you know, just all these people um, that I could run off, but I'm not going to name drop. <laughs> you know that that's that's what we um that's what we um I, I try to do because I try to make the connection for my students that like you know if you are going to be taking risks to change the conditions of your people and change the condition of society we need to have some examples of people who did it and the consequences that come with those um th- those decisions I make um, connections between political prisoners and what. Um, was known as black identity extremists, trying to understand that um, co- those connections. Because I think it's just important to realize that we have to struggle and we have to be able to take risks, but we have to understand the consequences that could potentially come with those risks. Yeah, I, I love to hear more about your pedagogy, that your African-centered pedagogy and how that manifests in particular in general and maybe in particular in your racism class. Okay. Yeah, um, so... My my early work um, in academia was really concerned with trying to like revisit and outline what's known as um, like an African centered perspective, an African worldview perspective, which is rooted in a set of philosophical assumptions that we argue can be found throughout the African world. It's not just what Africans on the continent are doing. It's not just what Africans in the diaspora are doing, but there are connections as it relates to, you know, how people see and understand the universe, how people understand the nature of what is real, how people uh, attempt to acquire knowledge, how people see themselves. Um, And I use this foundational work and ideas as I think about the work that I do within the classroom. So number one, you know, I see the classroom as a community. Um, I, you know, make sure that my students recognize that the conversation that we have is not a conversation that is one directional between myself and them, but is actually a conversation that happens between me, them, their classmates, and between the classmates. I've started to do this one thing um, recently is like, you know, we're going over an article, going over a chapter, and I just like stop, walk out of the, I say, listen, I'm leaving the classroom for five minutes. Y'all go take these markers and write everything on the board that you think is important. And I just leave. I just leave the, I walk around for five minutes in the hallway, and I come back, and they determine what is going to be the content of the, 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 the discussion that we're going to have. And by doing that, I think that that's a way of like, making them making my students own their educational experience like it takes the power away from me i'm like i'm as much as i love to teach and love to like talk and i can babble for days i really don't think that that's what the classroom is about i think the classroom is about engaging understanding ideas so that you can explain them in a safe space so that you then have the responsibility to lead that space that safe space and explain that stuff to family friends whomever um, so the, the, that approach of like just letting them figure that stuff out and then we come back and then kind of tease out what's the important um, ideas of, of, of a piece is, is something that's um, useful. Uh, one thing that I used to do, but I haven't done it in a while, was that for the midterm and the final exam, it was, it was an oral exam. Literally, we would take key concepts, 
put them in a hat, and they would literally go into the hat, pull out the concept, and they needed to speak on the concept for like three to five minutes. That was a part of the midterm. And then when we got to the final exam, we weren't using key concepts. We were using like just an open-ended question. They go into the hat, pull out that um, question, and they just talk on it for three to five minutes. When I do these things, again, the purpose is for the students to feel comfortable articulating and explaining what they know so that when they leave the classroom, when they leave my class, they feel comfortable. Trust me, when I get into class on Tuesday, the first thing I'm going to ask my students is, what did you talk about when you were sitting around on this, you know, settler colonial holiday? And I'm expecting them to be like, well, you know, I talked about this, I talked about that, and I talked about what we did in class, and I explained to them what racism is, and I explained to them. But that's what that's what I'm expecting. I I don't believe in the scholar and the academic as this person who sits around and pontificates. I believe that the scholar um, and the educator, the professor, is the one that shares information with people so they can do the work that you can't do. That's a high price to pay around that table. <laughs> how many students are really the I can't wait to hear how many students are going to ante up at the table. That's like the tense moment. Nobody wants to do it. It, 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 it is, but, you know, I mean, like, we, we can be gentle. We don't need to come with machetes and, and, and whatnot. You know, we can be gentle and just ask, like, you know, what are we actually doing here on this day? Like, um, you know, I, I used to, I, I, I remember there were times that I would be, you know, at, the, that table and I would be like just going at it but I just stopped that you know I just said let me just take it down a notch and ask a few questions or if I'm not even asking questions at the table when I'm talking to somebody in my family just be like hey you know this this how this is it's foolishness right and then we use it do things like that but I think we have to use any moment that we can to engage the contradictions mm-hmm. um, that, that, that we participate in and like talk about this stuff to, 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 to our students so that they feel comfortable to talk about it to, 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 to every, everyone that they interact with. Um, I, I do think that it, that, it, that it's important because then it just turns into like, if we don't do that, it just turns into some like intellectual exercise where it's like you could drop big words, you could talk about, you could name drop, and you can talk about all the books that you read, but that ain't changing anything. Mm-hmm. That ain't putting food on anybody's table ain't giving anyone the confidence to push back against the system it's not helping them whatsoever just you know it's a personal ego thing and the personal ego thing is 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 a problem it is and i feel like if one more person or if i read again says to me non-white my head is gonna explode i don't know (laughs) i'm just like why are people using this term so readily it's a newspaper article and I just feel like there's so much conversation that needs to be had and that everyone thinks any type of conversation is a confrontation. Yeah, and, and yeah I mean, but I, I think, you know, because we, um, Marimba Ani, um, this uh, scholar, organizer, who used to teach at Hunter College, um, would talk about how, you know, um, uh, white folks have what she refers to as this rhetorical ethic where, like, they say things that they actually don't really mean, but it just sounds good. And I think that we live in a society where we want to just sound good and not be able to talk about the the truth, mm-hmm. and therefore we use language that is soft and not 
going to the root of things. And that could be connected to the non-white. It could be connected to, like, you know, how people overuse people of color. Um, like, all, 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 all of that um, language. And it kind of speaks to even, you know, the reaction um, to, to critical race theory that, that, that goes on, which is a total, like, like foolishness. Um, when it comes to like how people don't understand that this legal theory is not taught in a whole bunch of law schools, and you think that your you know second grader or third grader is going to be learning about some legal theory, it's like no, that's not what's going on. <laughs> having a conversation about having a conversation about race and racism is not critical race theory, okay? Mm. <laughs> but that's what but but that's what they think. They they take that term critical race theory and they turn it into something else. Um, it's turning into something that, that, that fits their agenda of, oh, we can't have this discussion. That's right. Well, <clears throat> let's go into a quick song break. Um, so the songs today were recommended by Karanja. Um, so thanks for, for the uh, recommendations. So we're going to start. Our first song here will be Malcolm Garvey Huey by Dead Prez featuring RBG. Um, and so, give us a moment here. Malcolm Garvey Huey. Dedicated to all political prisoners. Life was like a movie study. Malcolm Garvey Huey. Malcolm Garvey Huey. Everything I do's revolutionized. I build what's good for the whole damn hood. Study G's like these, really think you should. I study Malcolm Garvey Huey. Malcolm Garvey Huey. Monster Cody with the Uzi. Listening to Fela Kuti. I'm Ogun with the machete. Especially if it's Delhi. Got the Santos for the Hexy to protect me. So respect me. This is heavy, legendary, revolutionary. My wifey, she resurrect me when they thought they had me buried. Took me out the cemetery. Now it's family over every. Cause it's all that's necessary to avoid the commissary I'ma live for you five, so I stop getting high If you know, then you recognize It's that black and brown pride It's the power of the mind RBG, God divine You can see through the lies If you can read between the lines I live, I die, I organize Everything I do, revolutionize I build what's good for the whole damn hood Study G's like these Really get you should we study Malcolm Garvey Huey, Malcolm Garvey Huey, uh, Malcolm Garvey Huey, Bungie Bobby, Pac and Tukey, sitting by the door so you can say I'm acting spooky, just like in the movie, son, you better pack your toolie, niggas wish be acting fruity, you'll be cracking like they pookie, rather smoke a doobie than be burning and eluding, bang, bang, pig shooting, we should blame Rudy Julie, Danny for the camera shine, a white and nose candy, let you banging on the system, you a gangster wearing panties, RBG, my family from the Bronx to my Miami. Police cannot stand me, packing y'all like a manny. Call me little Bobby Hutton, cause I'm first to push the button. Rappers don't be saying nothing to the system, we say fuck them. This is for Nahanda, Mama, see Mama Akua. All the real OGs, I'm a soldier, cause you told me study Malcolm Garvey Huey. Malcolm Garvey Huey. Malcolm Garvey Huey, I'm reporting in the duty. Sticky, icky, yours truly here for duty. Don Davino, M.A. Uno, you know how we drop the jury. This is real, not a movie, not Mickey Donald Goofy. I'm a soldier, I avoid a bitch nigga like the cooties. Screw face in a hoodie. 
Fresh pair of khakis, we could do this like we fam. I go to war like the Apaches for whatever. I stay ready. I learned that in Tallahassee. Baba Toon, they used to school me as a juvie, skipping classes. Never let the system use me. My duty is my passage. Watch the homies in your army. They don't always show their badges. Keep your family living healthy. Teach your children about their blackness. Teach your wifey how to use the ratchet. This shit is classic. Get your food, clothes, and shelter. Fuck the system. Pimp it backwards. I ain't hating. I'm just saying, if you want to be a rapper, study. Malcolm Garvey, Huey. Malcolm Garvey Huey study Malcolm Garvey Huey Malcolm Garvey Huey study Malcolm Garvey Huey Malcolm Garvey Huey study Malcolm Garvey Huey Malcolm Garvey Huey A tactical approach is designed to get certain Welcome back you're listening to Indigo Radio and that was Malcolm Garvey Huey um by Dead Prez and featuring Divine RBG um and so today we're talking about um, political prisoners and um, Dr. Karanja Keita Carroll's work and, and his teachings also. Um, and so we have Dr. Karanja Keita Carroll as a guest. And so um, the song we just heard talked about uh, Bobby Hutton and Malcolm X um, who were murdered um, by the state. And this also reminds me of um, Tupac Shakur, Fred Hampton, George Jackson, and other people who were assassinated. And so could you talk about your thoughts on state-sanctioned murders of black political activists and why were some activists targeted in that way? Yeah, I will talk about that, but I'm going to step back a second to tell you that I start all of my classes with music. Oh. So, <laughs> yeah, um, one of the things that I, I, I've, I've, I've tried to do is, you know, find politically conscious music, share that with my students, and then have my students analyze lyrics and explain the songs. And my thinking is that if they can explain these songs, they can then go on and analyze these articles and explain the damn, explain the articles. Mm-hmm. So, um I've played that, I don't know if i played that this semester, but I usually play that song um, every semester and have people, you know, ask questions and pull out some stuff. But um, the question about state sanctioned murder, um, so we have to, 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 to understand political prisoners um, and, you know, how some have been victims of the, the, the state in a variety of ways, including being murdered, um, is we have to understand COINTELPRO. COINTELPRO is a counterintelligence program created by the FBI. Um, it goes back all the way um, to actually the, 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 um, to the early 1900s. Um, you know, some argue that the first black FBI agent was sent in to infiltrate Garvey's Universal Negro Improvement Association. But we know that COINTELPRO was active in infiltrating um, the Socialist Workers Party, um, infiltrating the Communist Party, infiltrating the Puerto Rican Independence Movement, Black Liberation Movement, New Left, American Indian Movement, and arguably the COINTELPRO exists today under different um, names within the the federal government, but the purpose of COINTELPRO was to go into organizations and attempt to disrupt them. And they disrupted those organizations by 
attacking the character of certain um, leaders. They disrupted those organizations by pitting um, groups against one another. They disrupted those activities by incarcerating folks. They disrupted those um, organizations by murdering um, people. And, you know, when you talk about um, Zayd Malik Shakur, when you talk about um, Fred Hampton, when you talk about uh, folks, again, I hate name dropping, so I'm going to stop there. But when we talk about all these people who are victims um, of the state, um, it's all connected to the state's um, decision to take out people that they deem to be threats. Um, and the, the way that you that they will take them out is going to be through murder, character assassination, or lock you up, or run you out of the country. Um, and that, that's that's really really what COINTELPRO is about. And the state sanctioned murder is just one one aspect of of, of how COINTELPRO works. Mm-hmm. I would have to say that this is definitely not name dropping. That people need to hear the names, and not so many of us don't know about what's happening in the world and what's happened to other humans. That saying people's name, I think, is important part of this process for people to learn and like to write it, take a pencil, write it down and look it up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. Well, if, that, if that's the case, <laughs> then, then I'll drop some more names that we should be mind, we should be mindful of when we're thinking about um, political prisoners. And I'm not going to go through every single person. Um, but if you want to go through every single person, you can go to the Jericho Movement's website, mm-hmm. um, Jer- Jericho Movement, their website lists, um, current and past um, political prisoners, and their website is www.thejerichomovement.com. You can click on prisoners. You can see those who are current political prisoners, but there are some that I highlight that are just connected to the, the, the work um, that I um, am interested in and, and I've, I've done, and they just highlight um, the, these people, you know, with folks like H. Rat Brown, Mm-hmm. who is um, alive but is incarcerated on um, trumped-up charges, that we know that his incarceration is politically motivated. We know that um, the state saw him and sees him as a threat. That is why there's gag orders and why he can't talk to, you know, um, media outlets, so forth and so on. Um, there's folks like Mumi Abu-Jamal, who is, um, was on death row but is now... Um, um, still locked up in Pennsylvania. Mumia is probably the most well-known political prisoner. Um, He was a journalist. He was a member of the National um, Black Journalist Association, um, former member of the Panthers. Um, And, you know, when you look at what happened with Mumia, you... If you, when you begin to put the stuff together, you realize that, again, folks saw Mumia as a threat. They had the ability to pin the, the murder of um, Daniel Faulkner on him, and that's what, 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 what they did. Um, other folks, Ed Poindexter. Ed Poindexter is um, someone that I'm trying to, like, do more research on and learn more about because I think that he um, is a political prisoner that, you know, I mean, they all need to be free, but I, I want to put some time and energy into Edwin Dexter, who was um, uh, um, a political prisoner in, in Omaha. Um, and, you know, there's there, there, there's others. There's the sister, Joy Powell, who's like, there's, like a lot of the political prisoners that 
get the get the attention are, are folks connected to or, um, organizations in the 60s and 70s. But there's a sister named Joy Powell out of um, Rochester, New York, who, you know, was not a part of those movements, but she was someone who was holding police accountable, and they pinned a series of crimes on her, and she's locked up um, at this point. Um, and then there are people who've been able to, 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 to get free um, and, um, you know, show that, you know, when you put pressure on the state, you can actually get some wins. You know, Sundiata Okoli, um recently released, um, which is a, a, a beautiful, a beautiful win. Um, I mentioned Jaleel Muntikim, Sekou Odinga, uh, David Gilbert, and the most recent releases, um, not, not most recent release, but the most the recent person who is going to be released is that of um, Matulu Shakur. Um, yes, yes. And this, I believe the date's December 16th um, when um, he should be um, freed from, from, from federal prison. Um, yeah, and that's the was, brother who started um, the acupuncture program with the Black Panthers. Yep. Yeah. Yep, 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 and, yep. He, um, uh, Matulu was... Um, a member of the um, Republic of New Africa. Um, he's 72 years old right now, father, grandfather, healer, human rights um, activist, and a, a, a new African freedom fighter who um, will be released. Um, but one of the things um, that we need to be mindful of is that, you know, we put, we put um, pressure on the state to get folks free, but we need to be concerned with how we support them once they get out. Mm-hmm. Um, and before I get off the show, I want to um, give you all some resources that you, we can share with the audience to um, support these folks that um, we were able to, to 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 get free. But what's the next question? So, actually, there's something I wanted to bring up. Um, Michaela, you said this a, a long time ago that really struck me. You said that all prisoners are political prisoners, like all people who are in prisons. And I wondered if you could like expand on that and we can move into talking about like, you know, how political prisoners are intertwined with the whole incarceration system in the U S. Um, so two, two, two ways to approach the question. Um, you know, a lot of folks, um, make the argument. I mean, I think I've, I most recently read, um, this and something from John Henry Clark, where he was like, you know, that African people in the throughout the diaspora who were forcefully taken from the continent of Africa are all political prisoners. Like our whole transport from Africa to the diaspora makes us all political prisoners. That's one level of looking at this. Um, then you know if you look at the work of oh why am I gonna Russell Maroon Schultz Russell Maroon Schultz makes the argument that when we begin to look at all folks who are incarcerated, they're fundamentally incarcerated for um, political reasons that manifest in a whole bunch of other ways. But the state has made a decision that they're going to incarcerate you, and that decision is not it's, – it's a political decision. Therefore, everyone can be considered a political prisoner. Now, I um, – and toying around with this idea of using political prisoner broadly, but I am not convinced at this point that, that, that that's what I'm going to be um, doing. That could change because 
you know, as the more that I think and reflect and build with um, elders and build with former political prisoners, I, you know, my, my thinking begins to change. But I'm, I, I'm reluctant to use the term political prisoner across the board um, just because those people who I refer to as political prisoners, I'm using a def- definitions of political prisoners that come from political prisoners or former political prisoners um, themselves. So Sundiata Coley would say that a political prisoner is an individual who's been jailed either for their beliefs, their speech, or basically their political ideas and concepts. And, you know, Leonard Peltier says that a political prisoner is someone who is fighting for his or her people's rights and freedoms and is in prisons for that alone. So I am um, reluctant to use that term across the board. I recognize that there, is, there are politicized social prisoners. Um, politicized social prisoners are folks like George Jackson. I mean, I met when I was doing work um, at Shawangong Correctional, I met a number of brothers who came in on for social reasons, and they turned into politicized social prisoners. Um, but again, I, I, I um, I'm, I'm reluctant to use the term political prisoners across the board. That makes sense. I mean, I think that my thinking is that because people are incarcerated largely because they're forced through the capitalist system into crimes of survival um, mm-hmm. and locked into neighborhoods where it's really hard to survive, that that system is not a system of choice. It's not a system of choosing uh, to commit crimes and i i mean even the word crime is like you put in quotation marks because the biggest criminals <laughs> are walking around free and they right, like, right 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 they take they will take it out from under you legally <laughs> and and so i think that that is usually my thinking is like the the biggest criminals are the ones walking around scot free and the rhetoric around their existence is that they have somehow earned their right to success and big quotes, which really means money, that really they have appropriated uh, from people in ways that largely should be illegal, but are not. And uh, someone takes a five finger discount and that's illegal. Um, But stealing somebody's whole pension and wage theft is not, is perfectly legal. Um, No, no, I I, I feel you on it. And I, when we we get off of this, I'm gonna, send you the citation for this um, piece by uh, Russell Malone Schultz, who um, makes the argument that we could be using the word or the phrase political prisoner a little bit more broadly. And it's almost in tune with the argument that you're, um, you're making. I just don't have it right in front of me, but I do have access to it. So I will, I will send that to you. <laughs> All right. Um, so that you, cause you, listen, um, I think we just need evidence and ammo for the arguments that we're making. And I'm, I'm about to give it to you. So I, <laughs> that's I, what it is. I'm ready. <laughs> I, I just, I, I'm wondering too, like what other things, I mean, when, you know, thinking about the music, like I'm, I work with young people a lot and I'm in the van with them and I'm, I'm over being the shock and awe of like the Megan the Stallion and whatever else they listen to. Um, but largely, I'm sure they don't know about political prisoners. And so 
what are some basic things that you think that for your students and even people who are younger, even I have small children, that they should know about political prisoners? Well, I, I think the first thing that they should know is that they exist within the United States. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that all too many times when we think of, like, you know, repressive governments, we think of folks outside of the United States. That's just part of the the, 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 the socializing and schooling that we, um, that, that we experience um, here. Um, so the first thing is to recognize that they exist. Um, the second thing is to know the names of them and know, like, what got them to be incarcerated for um, political reasons, um, and then begin to connect that to things that are going on today and begin to connect that to how people um, attempt to resist. And, you know, um, somebody said to me, like, all of us are one step away from being a political prisoner as much as we, as long as we resist, and as long as we're active in, in our re- resistance, um, there's no reason. I mean, the state has to pin stuff on folks because all the people that I've talked about and mentioned in names, um, they were all pinned with, you know, primarily trying to take out a member of law, law enforcement. Mm-hmm. And the only thing you need to do is be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And, you know, you are, you know, pinned with trying to take out law enforcement. And from there, you know, they'll then say, oh, this person is connected to this organization that's doing this, that, and the other. Oh, that was politically motivated. And, you know, you know, this person is a cop hater and all this other stuff, you know, because they're, you know, uh, abolitionists. They take all that stuff and then construct a narrative of who you are, and then they've politicized, you know, your um, your, 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 your actions and then pin something on you. But again, I think it comes down to basically knowing that political prisoners exist, knowing what a political prisoner is, knowing who they were in the past, and knowing how that's connected to resistance actions and activities today. That's, to me, that, that, that's, that's the basic, you know. Right. Um, I, you know if, if, over the course of the semester, you know, we're able to talk about a lot more and make um, connections, but if you want the one, two, three, four punch, that's, that is what it is. <laughs> and I guess I have another question, because you said that um, what, in your ex- answer just now that, that they politicize people's actions. Um, I'm wondering, do you see your work as your work in the classroom as a political act? Because largely we've told in the classroom that we're supposed to be objective. And, you know, I'm wondering what those words to me, you, mean to you, especially in this time of heightened scrutiny in academia and the field of teaching. So the, to, to start with, number one, I don't believe that it's possible to be objective. I think that objectivity is a concept that comes from the minds of, sorry, it comes directly out of the European worldview. Um, it comes directly out of a unique way of understanding reality that is connected to the European people. And we, we clearly know that um, the, the, the personal is political mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. there's no way that we're going to make that separation. However, under the European worldview, European epistemology, they've given us this idea of objectivity. Now, in my classes, I talk a lot about etymology, like how you can look at a word and study the origin of the word to understand what is at the very root foundation of that word. The, 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 the root of objectivity is the word object. And literally, objectivity is about throwing space 
and separation between you and what you're trying to study. Literally, the OB is two, eject is throw. That's why when you push the eject button, you throw out because the E is really an EX meaning out. Um, so that's what objectivity is about, is throwing space. But that's normal under the European worldview, which is about separation. Mm. And I'm not European, and my people aren't, and objectivity is not a part of how I see and understand um, the, the work that I do. It's about what are the connections, like how, what's the relationship between who I am and what I'm studying and why I'm trying to understand this. This doesn't. This, so this means that you are putting your whole person into this. I'll tell you, if I didn't know folks like Otri Latulu, if I didn't meet and spend time with folks like um, Sekou Odinga, if I didn't meet um, Sundiata, if I didn't meet these people, my commitment to this stuff would be different. But since I know them and since I have met them and had long and short conversations with them, this is more than just some intellectual thing where, you know, we're going to talk about these random folks. Like, you know, Otri lives in, lives in Jersey. I bring him to my class. I have brought Seiko Odinga to my students at Baruch College. I told my students, these people have lived, they're still living right now, and you need to meet them to understand that, that this is not something that's historical, that is in the past. It is with us right here and now. And therefore, objectivity is garbage. Objectivity is something that is used in order to detach researchers, students, and scholars away from what they're trying to study so that they can give a non-biased perspective. But everything is biased. Mm -hmm. There's bias in everything. Why don't we just be upfront about the bias? So I'm committed to the liberation of African people. I'm committed to getting African people out of the garbage that we're in. And therefore, that is how I move in my work. And I, that, that's how I move in the classroom. I'm trying to tell my students, listen, this is the reality that we live in. I have a problem with this reality. Any thinking person should also have a problem with this reality. And this is how we're going to move forward. We're not going to do this as if, like, you know, yeah, everything is fine and dandy. Um, I remember... Um, one of one of my teaching philosophy statements said something like, you know, I'm trying to get students to recognize that the world that we live in is, is, is jacked up and they have a choice. Either they're going to continue to allow the world to be jacked up around them or they're going to try to take the little bit of time, space, and energy and make some change. And in doing that, you know, you, it ain't about being objective. Right. Great. Well, I think that's a great segue into one of the songs that, you recommended Things Ain't Right by Divine RPG, mm. as you were saying, things ain't right in the world and we should all be figuring out how to how to change things. So here we go, Divine RBG. Cereal, and I'm hungry. You checked the refrigerator? Yes, we don't have any milk or cereal. Uh-uh. Oh, 
Politics is a pile of tricks. Politicians only poly with the people trying to get what they trying to get. Get you for your ideas, resources, and my years. Nothing's been done for the people that live right here. The Bronx still burnt down. Young people get turned out. Thinking that living off the system's gonna work out. Addicted to the welfare, no quality health care. Been to hospitals in the Bronx, is living hell there. Been on Section 8, been eating free lunches. Been job hunting for summers, and still nothing. I know that the change he promised, it ain't coming. I know politicians be lying, they stay frontin'. If we want change to come, it's on us. And the almighty dollar is the one you can't trust. Unemployment up, crime rate up, education cut, the war's on us. From the foods that we eat to the way that we think, from the books that we read to the way we raise our seeds. See, when I was coming up, dead press taught me that we live in a police state and get free. Malcolm taught me to get free by any means, and Garvey blessed me with that red, black, and green. Now I got jurisdiction to bang on the system and bang on a phony, blood-sucking politician who always makes promises but never acknowledges a lifetime it takes to pay back loans from colleges. They want to be a loomy but don't know what made Sonic is. They Tweeting for the truth, don't know where to follow it. A lot of hashtag and false flagging and backstab. What happened to the honor and loyalty to the black pants? What happened to the G Scott Herons and G Pratt's? What happened to the black and brown taking this back? Welcome back. You're listening to Indigo Radio on WVEWLP Brattleboro 107.7 FM, your community radio station. Um, The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the host and guests, not the radio station. 
Um, and you can catch us here every week at one o'clock. And today our guest is Dr. Karanja Keita Carroll, who um, teaches at in the Department of Black black and latinx studies at baruch college he's also involved um in organizing around um political prisoners um something i noticed also you mentioned earlier uh that you work with the black alliance for peace and i i follow them um like on social media and they do a lot of work um to fight against africom um and i think that like you know, you had earlier mentioned that, you know, we think about repression being outside, but we also repress others elsewhere, and not just in Africa, but it, but in other places. But do you do any of that work um, with them, or um, or is it just political prisoner work? I, I mean, I'm I'm a, a member of the um, BAT, the New York uh, coalition within BAT. So I do support those actions um, around, um, I mean, anything that that BAP does. But I, like I said, I primarily do stuff connected to political prisoners. But we, I helped organize a um, uh, shutdown African discussion at NYU a few, like a month ago um, with with, with members of BAP. Um, But, you know, that's not my... Not my wheelhouse. Gotcha. I mean, there are some things that that we do within that beyond political prisons that are that I've you know my heart is in. But um, I leave that to the folks within that who are doing that. Mm. But if you want to talk about the relationship between the military industrial complex and the current police system within the United States, we can talk about that. Yeah. If we want to talk about you know the weapons exchange programs that happen between the military mm-hmm. and these small little communities throughout the United States, we could talk about that. If we want to talk about the training of police officers in Israel and how this impacts practices that are used in New York City, all of that, that's all a part of what we do within within, within BAT um, because it's about trying to understand what is the relationship between us Africans who are here in the United States and America's foreign policy and the stuff that is going on outside of the United States impacts us here within the United States. And we need to be holding the, um, the, 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 the government, um, accountable. So it's not just, you know, um, the, the domestic stuff, it's the international work as, as well. But like I said, for me, a lot of my concentration is around political prisoners. Gotcha. Um, so you mentioned early, you talked a little bit earlier about um, the political education you do in your classrooms. Um, do you still go into prisons now and do some kind of education? What does that look like, like going into prisons and um, and doing I don't so know, I, some I, political I, education? Or just... I, well, I, so I'll, I'll go back to, to, to where I started um, at... Oh, now I'm forgetting the name of the prison. Um, but there was a prison right outside of Philadelphia that I started to do these um, workshops around African history and culture. 
and I would go in like once every couple months and hold a, a workshop. That then transformed into similar type of things at Shawangunk Correctional, which is a maximum um, um, for maximum correctional facility in Shawangunk, New York. Um, and at that institution, they had something called the African Cultural Awareness Program, and I would hold workshops with, with them as well. I would participate and assist with their Kwanzaa programming. So that was how I began. All of this came to came to a head when um, I had left SUNY New Paltz and I was given the opportunity to teach a credit-bearing class at um, Sullivan Correctional Facility, which is also in, in, in New York. And... Um, that was a great experience because through that experience, I was able to meet Robert Seth Hayes. Robert Seth Hayes um, was a political prisoner who um, died about two years ago. And it was crazy because I was teaching, it was an African-American history class, and the brothers who were in the class were like, yeah, you know, um, Robert Seth Hayes, you know, he wants to know if he could sit in on the class. And I'm like, he wants to know if he could sit in on my class? Like, <laughs> I would be honored to have this brother here. And he came down the next week, and him and over the, the that next session, him and I did a, a lesson around like the '60s and the Black Panthers and all that stuff. And it was just amazing. It was amazing. And you know, he I think I spoke to him once or twice after he was released, um, but I never got a chance to see him before he um, made his transition. But um, that 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 kind of uh, gets back to the, the sick nature of the state. Um, they will decide to release people. Um, right before they they know they're about to make their transition. That's what they did with Marilyn Buck. Mm -hmm. Marilyn Buck is released. Marilyn Buck was, um, y'all can Google Marilyn Buck. I'm not going to give you her biography. Just Google Marilyn Buck. Um, but she was released like in the middle of July, and she made her transition probably by the beginning of August. Um back um when she was released and it's just the sick nature of the state but the i don't do any um teaching on the inside right now um and i'd like to but i don't at this moment gotcha. i have a question I, so many of our children um i don't know if it's in the water it's in everything but our Black children are just taught self-hatred at a really young age. And my friend sent me this heartbreaking video of the kids at her school um, and how they treat the dolls differently. Like, it's not the doll experiment. It's like, the do it's like actual play um, where some of these children are, you know, have the black dolls piled in the corner and they got the little white dolls sitting at the table. And I'm just wondering what in your work and in, in your life and in the classroom, do you think addresses this, the, the, me the messages that we receive on a daily basis um, that who we are is wrong? And I, you touched on some of it, but. Yeah, I mean, so my, my background is, you know, the, the first class that I ever taught um, was a African psychology class, African-centered psychology class. Um, and, you know, questions of identity are connected to the work around African psychology. Um, and I've, I would teach African psychology classes up until probably the last five or six, um, years 
So a lot of my work, even the work that I teach around religion and spirituality is connected to arguments connected to African psychology. Um, African psychology is a approach to psychology which is rooted in the African worldview. It is rooted in this notion that to understand the self, you understand the self as fundamentally immaterial or spiritual. You understand that behavior is a manifestation of this immaterial being that, 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 that exists who we are. Um, arguably, if you go ahead and look at the origin of the word psychology, you do that etymology that I talked about before, that psyche, according to the Western approach, tells you that it's connected to the mind. But when you go a little bit deeper, we have a concept that comes out of ancient Egypt known as the saku, which is the soul, and therefore African-centered psychology is concerned with understanding who we are at an immaterial level. That then speaks to the confusion that we manifest and we put into the world when we participate in activities that are connected to our self-hatred. One, one of the reasons why I start my classes with music is to introduce my students to artists who are saying something very different from what they're getting on their mainstream radio. Because if they can get music that begins to have them reflect about who they are and ask questions about who they are, that is, um, that, that, that's, that's the start of it. Because a lot of this stuff comes from the things that we just take for granted. Like, you know, we, we take certain things for granted and we get these messages and we don't begin to question the messages. Um, there's, it's funny when I was thinking about the songs to send y'all. I didn't send y'all anything from this group called Salt, S-A-U-L-T. Um, and they have some dynamic music. Um, um, one of the songs is, is, is entitled, like, I think it's called Little Boy. And, you know, the, the chorus is something along the lines of, like, you know, Little Boy, when you grow older, I will tell you about the boys in blue. And, you know, it's about the relationship between the police and, and, and black folks. And when I played that for my students, my students were like, isn't it insane that we have to, that there's this music that, is about, like, you know, I'm going to tell you about the police when you're a little bit older, but you need to know about them. Like, that, that just speaks to the our reality. But for me, in a nutshell, you got to approach this topic through art and through music and through through those things that, that, that um, allow for folks to just think in ways that are not so smack you in the face. It's not like you can walk up to them and throw them a, st a stack of books and be like, read, and you'll get it. No, you need to be able to have very basic conversations. And I think music, for me, is that avenue that I, that I, that I do that. Oh, thank you. Great. Well, that, our hour is up. We really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us. Thank, thank you, you so much. Thank you so much. Um, I definitely B before I go, I do want to... Um, oh, yes, tell us how um, to support... Yes, yes. Yeah, so so um, in regards to um, the Matula Shakur, uh, you can go to www.cadnational.org slash donate. As a matter of fact, what I'm going to do is when I'm done, I'm going to send you a series of links that can be used to um, support Matulu's support, um, uh, Sundiata Koli, and support some other folks who, um, you know, are – released or recently released who, um, you know, this, this, this deserve some type of uh, attention financially because when folks get out, we have to realize that, like, you know, they're coming out with the clothes on their back. And if their families, you know, can't support them, 
then it's up to the people to um to to support them. But I'm gonna get you those links and hopefully you can put them on oh. website connected to the page or link it somehow, some way so that people can know about them. Yeah, I'll link it I'll, when I uh, put the show, this show, which is live now, goes onto SoundCloud and iTunes podcast. And so I'll put it, I'll blast it in the social media and I'll include um, the websites that, that you're okay. gonna recommend. That yeah. that, that, that that works for me. Um, I. Thank you for the opportunity. I'd love to come back because we need to talk about death row. Okay, we need to oh, talk yeah. about folks on death row. Right now, there's a brother named Kevin Johnson in Missouri who mm. is about to be taken out by the state, and he should not be. But we need to talk about black folks on death row. So I'd love to come back and talk about that in a, in a few months. Um, Absolutely. If uh, given the opportunity, all right? Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day. No problem. Have a good one, y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Any announcements, Michaela? That's it. Thank you for joining us. Thank this you. Is thank Indigo you. Indigo Radio, WVEWLP, your community radio station. Yep. And we'll be back See, next, next week, week. at yeah. one o'clock. We're gonna play a, a minute of a song. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> Good idea. Um, let's see the song and and this was also um recommended by Karanja um this so there's an author named Balogun Ojetade um he writes a lot of like afrofuturistic manga graphic novels and steampunk um and you can look him up um but he there's a song based on his um graphic novel um or maybe it's a manga series called Wrath of Siafu may appear a confusing blur of activity, each ant doing its own thing, but it can't be. Somehow the ants coordinate their actions so that large insects are overwhelmed, killed and carried back to the base. Pears is dying and my people are suffering. The money's still low, you should see how they budgeting. Watch what comes out your mouth. People are suffering. It's elementary, they want us all gone eventually. Pears is dying, people are suffering. The money's still low, you should see how they budgeting. Pears is dying, and my people are suffering. Cause the money's still low, they want us all gone eventually. I swear to God, living in this economy is like a robbery. The government taxing me when they owe me for my property. You niggas act like you happy to live in poverty when I feel like a king.